Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. If you've recently been wondering, or for that matter, have ever wondered what the Apollo Space Program has to do with your leadership, then you are in the perfect place today. We have a guest who's coming on the show in just a few minutes, and she's going to be sharing about this Apollo metaphor and her Apollo method for making sure that you're able to have the impact and influence you want to have in whatever space you find yourself leading in. If you're a leader who cares about innovation, then this is going to be an episode that you're really going to enjoy. We're going to get to a little bit more about our guest in just a second, but first... Do you want to accelerate your leadership success? There's a way you can do that for free, and it's called the MindScan. This assessment is an inventory based on the Nobel-nominated Hartman Value Profile, and it measures your capacity to make value judgments concerning you and the world around you. Instead of simply understanding how you behave, it objectively measures why you behave the way you do. Align your thinking strengths with your leadership goals by applying to take the MindScan today. All you need to do is apply by emailing community at lifeasleadership.com. You'll get a unique link and the opportunity to review your results. Both the assessment and review call are totally free. If you want to understand the how and why of your decision making, in order to more quickly get the results you want, the mind scan can be your next step to success. Once again, community at lifeasleadership.com. Now, on to today's interview. Our guest today has over 20 years of experience as a recognized Silicon Valley thought leader and strategist. She's the CEO of Lina Group Incorporated, which specializes in market dominant strategy. She's been involved at Stanford University since 2006 and has served as chief strategy and marketing officer for several technology startups. She began her career at Accenture, where she helped found, lead, and grow what is now a multi-billion dollar business unit within the company. She's just released a new book called Be the Go-To, How to Own Your Competitive Market, Charge More, and Have Customers Love You for It. Here is Teresa Lina. Teresa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, Teresa, I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? I am. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? When I was a kid, my dad used to always tell us kids when we'd complain or say we couldn't do something, he'd say, can't means won't. And that was very empowering to hear. We we could do actually an entire podcast unpacking that phrase, but it, it's been a, a real um, guide for me as I've gone through my career. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? I'd say compassionate, courageous, and determined. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? One of the most important questions is what can we do better? 
What can we do better? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? One of my all-time favorites, it's really hard to pin down just one book, but I'd say a, a key one is The Greatest Salesman in the World. It's a very small book. It's been around for many year, many decades, in fact. And if you internalize the 10 principles in that little book, you'll achieve success no matter what you choose to do in life. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Well, I'd say it applies now uh, more than ever, but uh, it's always important truly, deeply, empathically listen to others. Stephen Covey used the phrase, seek to understand. And I think that's extremely important. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? <laughs> that's such a clever question. Uh, you know, they each serve a different purpose, but if I had to pick just one, it would be why not? It leads, in my mind, it leads to more innovation and risk-taking. When you ask, why not? Why can't that be done? Why shouldn't we do that? Uh, you know, it's funny. That was the name of a bar I went to in the Greek Isles on a post-college backpacking trip. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought the T-shirt, and it's been something of a philosophy in life that has served me very well. <laughs> mm. So, Teresa, we are here today to talk about your new book, which has just been released, called Be the Go-To. And before we get into some of the more specific parts of the book, I'd love for you to just give an overview of it. And, you know, you were saying before the interview, before we started recording, this isn't something that's new to you. This is something you've been talking about for a long time. So why now with sharing all of this insight with the rest of the world? Yes. You know, it's fascinating. Before I get into what the book is about, I have to say I, I've started and stopped work on this book many times over the years. And there was a point a couple of years ago, my family and I went on around an around the world trip for a year. And before we left for that trip in 2017, I, I really thought, oh, you know, I'm not sure the, the world needs this book anymore. Uh, you know, there's a lot of progress being made. Uh, we went on the trip, we came back and in talking to people and seeing what was going on out there in the market and then seeing the mistakes companies were still continuing to make, I realized it's it's needed more now than ever. Competitive pressures, the fact that so much marketing has moved online, the fact that it's so hard to look and sound different and be different. It's so easy. I should say the barriers to duplication are now so low for many companies that I realized it's it's critical. And it's funny because I've I had been talking about the Apollo space program for years as a great metaphor for what companies can learn and what they need to do. And in the early days of talking about that, nobody really seemed to care. But all of a sudden the moon travel to the moon and astronauts and space the space program are back on everybody's minds. And so the Everything seemed to be in alignment to to come out with the book. And I want to get to, once again, a little bit more about the book in just a second. But what are some things that you have to, to speak into people's lives about being innovative rather than just trying to be like everyone else? Yeah, you know, we'll get into that when we talk about what's in the book, because the Apollo method for market dominance, which is what I lay out in this book, is designed to, you know, you have to be innovative in order to do the method. But it's not innovation in the traditional sense of the word. People tend to think of innovation as creatively coming up with some new gizmo. And yes, that, that's an important dimension of innovation. And there are quite a few stories in the book that include those types of innovations and that kind of progress. The, the bigger issue is 
innovative problem solving, being very innovative in how you go about solving a market problem that takes the market leaps ahead of where it is today. Instead of incremental improvements, you're really coming up with a, a very unique and innovative way of solving that market problem. The same way that the Apollo Space Program, for example, uh, solved the problem of you know space exploration. We were making very small incremental gains, especially in the race against the Soviet Union. And there was the Cold War happening at the time. And as we know, John F. Kennedy, with the help of Vice President Johnson, declared that, no, we're, we're going to go to the moon. I mean, that was just such a mind-boggling concept at the time yeah. that people, they had to really get their heads around it at first. And it, it blew everybody away for him to even declare that's what we were going to try to do. And they didn't know how they were going to do it when they decided that that was the goal. They had some ideas about how it might be possible, but you know, it was a game changer for space exploration. So one of the things that might just be most helpful as we begin to talk about the book and eventually get to the Apollo method, which I'd love to hear a little bit more about the story behind that. You share about that a little bit in your book, but you break the book down into three parts and it's, it's why be the go-to and then the, the what and the how behind the idea of being the go-to. Could you first talk about why be the go-to of a particular market? Why be the go-to in your area of influence? Yeah, you know, I in coming up with all of this, I was actually initially trying to solve my own problem. I had a consulting firm. I was out there dealing with clients that I had had many years of, of relationship with and service in working with them, including my former company, Accenture. And increasingly, they were trying to push my prices down and declaring that, hey, you know, I can go hire somebody to do this from anywhere. I, I don't need to pay you this when I can pay somebody else half of that. And it was very frustrating because we knew we had a tremendous amount of expertise and that it would not have been easy for somebody to, else to come in and do the same work with the same quality. But they couldn't see that until after the fact, right? So we, you know, I was really struggling with what, what do I need to do differently? Meanwhile, I would see these other people out in the marketplace who were charging 20, 30, 40 times what I was charging. They were commanding such high prices in the market. Mm. And I was also fascinated by companies that could do this in regular markets. Like, why is it that people are willing to go spend a day's wages at Disney World, or not even a day's wage, you know, a week, they, a week's worth of their paycheck uh, to go take their kids to Disney World. And so I studied it. I really wanted to understand what is it that they do differently? And that's when I realized, oh, you know, the big issue here is differentiation. If you aren't clearly differentiated, and I don't mean a little different in a little tiny bit different in in different ways, but one big glaring dimension of differentiation where you're clearly the go-to for that problem, it just makes life so much easier. Number one, you can charge much higher prices. People hardly question your prices because they know before you've walked in the door that you're going to deliver superior value. Uh, number two, when you make higher margins, life is so much more comfortable. I've worked for high margin companies and low margin companies. And at the high margin company, we are doing, we are, everything we do is top quality. We're working with the best people side by side with, with 
the best people. We're investing in our future. We're doing classy marketing. We're, we've got R&D initiatives going on. Whereas at a low margin company, you're scraping by, you're having to hire the cheapest person you can find who isn't always necessarily the best at what they do. You're barely meeting today's needs, much less thinking about the future and planning for the future. And the list just goes on. So I realized early on, oh my God, I'd much rather be and work for a company that earns high gross margins, meaning they can charge a lot more than it costs to provide what it is they're doing, which leaves them a lot of extra money on the table to spend on operations and their future versus a company that's barely charging more for the product or offering than it's costing to provide it. So that was the problem. And then, and the, the what is, oh, you know, the pro, if you're not differentiated, if you're a commodity, if your prices are getting pushed down, if you're scraping by for business, then what you need to do is become the go-to. And in, as the go-to, you're the name that comes to mind. You are always invited to the party. You know, you can set the terms of how you're going to work with the client or the customer. And, you know, there's a very long list that I go through in the book of, of the benefits. And then, then the question became, well, how do you do that? Basically, in doing the research, I realized, okay, it boils down to these four things. And so I'm taking it that is the Apollo method. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that. But first of all, could you give us a little bit of the background that you provide in the book about maybe how you've come to this name, the Apollo Method? What happened is I was on an airplane one day on my way to Chicago to a client meeting, and I, I had been really pondering, what do I need to do? You know, how does this, what does this boil down to? So I ended up sketching out this flow diagram for myself, and it had these four phases that I'll walk through in a second. And as I looked at them, I, I kind of instinctively came up with the name, with the, the phase names, Launch, Ignite, Navigate, Accelerate. And later, I had been thinking about what could I name this? You know, I, I want to have a name for it. And I, I was reading, I just happened to read an article about the Apollo space program. And there was something about the way it was worded that made me realize they had to do the exact same thing. And it already was close to my heart because I grew up around a lot of people who worked on the Apollo space program. So it was very much, you know, something that I had an affinity for. But in, in looking at the phases, uh, I, I saw the parallel. And then I happened to watch a, an HBO special called From the Earth to the Moon, which Tom Hanks and Ron Howard produced. And in watching that miniseries, it was like watching exactly what a company needs to do to become the go-to. I couldn't believe just how deep the parallels went. And actually, as I got into the research of the book, it just kept becoming clearer and clearer that the parallel is incredibly appropriate. So I settled on that name. Now, I'm just now noticing this. I don't know how I missed it earlier, but the L I N A. You're you're getting what I'm saying, right? Are you, I did do. you did you mean for it to spell Lina? Yes, and you know why? Why? I needed a way to be able to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that's the secret I, I, right there, huh? Yeah, yeah. I was on the airplane. I sketched this out. I'm like, okay, I need, I need a way to be able to recall this, you know? So yes, I used the initials L-I-N-A. And it's so funny because over the years, I've tried to find other ways to do it. Like, okay, can I do go to? Can I find four things? Go, G-O-T-O. And it just kept coming back to those four words because they really do capture what you need to do. And so I, I ended up sticking with it. Hey, if it works, it works. Perfect. Well, <laughs> if you would go ahead, go ahead and break these down for us. We have launch, ignite, navigate, and accelerate. And these are the ways to be the go-to or to be the market dominator in your space. Could you, could you break these down for us a little bit? Yes. So the first phase is the, the launch phase. The four phases, I'll say them again, launch, ignite, navigate, and accelerate. And I'll, I'll explain why ignite comes after launch. I know that's counterintuitive. So the launch phase is where you declare a market problem that you're going to own. So a go-to isn't just known for its product or service. A go-to ideally is really associated with that market problem that it's seeking to lead the charge in eliminating. So it's got a higher purpose. And, you know, some good examples are, well, actually, just let's start with Apollo. So, you know, one of the big reasons that Kennedy felt it was important to demonstrate dominance in the, in the space race with the Soviet Union at the time is there was a lot of context happening. We had the Cold War. Uh, there was a threat of communism spreading beyond the Soviet Union. They, they were annexing different countries. There was a lot of concern that uh, they could try to take over uh, other countries that enjoy democratic freedom. And so one of the big missions of the Apollo space program was to demonstrate that, you know, we don't want space to also become a place where we have a fight of freedom against oppression. We want to win the space race on behalf of the free world. So it wasn't just about the United States. It was about the entire world. You know, if you look at Tesla, Elon Musk, you know, one of the, and and he actually, you know, there were some other co-founders involved. And what they really wanted to do was they wanted to make electric cars mainstream. At the time, electric cars were considered something that only, uh, you know, people who lived extreme lifestyles in connection with the environment would buy. And they wanted to make the, they, fe- they felt that this was a, a big problem we need to solve. We've got to get cars off of gasoline. And so they had a higher mission. So these are just a few of many examples out there of companies that are, have a higher purpose and are really trying to solve a problem. So with launch, you decide what that problem is. You develop a point of view on that problem. And then you decide what your unique approach is going to be for solving that problem. You then declare ownership for the problem by putting a stake in the ground, whether that's a press release or a big announcement or some kind of launch, but some kind of launch. You launch your initiative. Now, real quick follow up on that. I think it can be easy for people to think, well, my cause, what I'm standing for is not as big as what some of these other large companies or maybe even the idea of going to the moon. Uh, My idea is nothing like that. How do you see people being able to really own their problem and see the value in it and not just talk themselves down from doing what they think they need to be doing? Yeah, that's that's a great point. And, you know, something that really helps 
especially with, say, an individual or a solopreneur, uh, something that really helps is getting very specific. I think you've had other guests on who have talked about this, but it's very important to, to narrowly define your market. And the smaller you are, the more narrowly defined that should be. Uh, you can always expand later, but you, you've got to get traction first. And the way to do that is have a very narrowly defined market, but it needs to be big enough. There needs to be enough spending and enough of a enough market demand and enough urgency to give your business the kind of revenues it's going to need. But the more specific you can be, the more likely you're you're going to be able to gain traction. And you're also going to be able to tailor your message for that specific market. So no matter how small you are, you can still have, you know, a core problem you're trying to solve and tie it to a bigger story than just your offering. You know, it's, it's something that it's got to matter to the marketplace and matter to you. You know, you need passion. You, you need passionate conviction in what it, whatever it is you're doing. But even the smallest organization or, or person can apply this. So Teresa, we've just talked about launch and really that's about declaring a problem, identifying, declaring, and then setting a stake in the ground. Now, I want to go ahead and move on to the next step, which is to ignite. Could you share with us about igniting? So you have your market problem you're going to focus on. You have a point of view about this and you have a unique approach that you're going to take to solve this problem. So you're on a mission. With ignite, your goal is to ignite the market around your point of view and solution. So the key here, you know, basically what you're trying to do is start a movement. And the key is to start out with power brokers and influencers who can help you get a groundswell of support. One of the mistakes that a lot of companies make is they try to go too broad too quickly with their marketing and they can't get traction out there. They can't get enough attention. So in the book, I lay out a very specific approach for how you build a groundswell and how you basically start this movement. And there are some tricks Uh, especially associated with getting media attention and getting speaking opportunities and so forth. I talk in the book about the media food chain. It's a, it's a, it's basically the way the game is played and it's important to understand that. And it's also important to go after just the people who are going to be ready for what it is you're talking about. I also lay out an approach for that. So you're going after the, we call them on the innovation adoption curve. If you think of a bell curve, at the very front edge are innovators and early adopters. And that's all you care about in the beginning. You're trying to convert those people before you move into more of a mainstream message. So, you know, a couple of examples are, uh, you know, Steve Jobs, when he was trying to ignite the market around uh, iTunes, he went around meeting with different industry executives in the music industry who had been burned by free streaming services. And he put tremendous effort into helping them understand what his vision was for how you get people to start paying for streamed music and for downloads and converted them one by one and met with the most powerful ones who, you know, once he won them over, it would win other people over. And so he was very successful in getting them to get on board for iTunes. This is in the early days. So there are a lot of examples of this type of approach. You know, Walt Disney, when he was trying to generate support for, you know, he had a vision, if you go back to launch, he had a vision for a theme park he'd be willing to take his, an amusement park he'd be willing to take his family to. At the time, amusement parks were rather seedy 
and they'd get set up and taken down and moved to the next town. And it wasn't a place really for children. And he wanted something clean. He wanted uh, good family fun. He wanted to recreate the magical worlds of his movies. But he needed a way to to get support for this and raise the money and so forth. So he created Disneyland TV, and he put a weekly show on, and he targeted his key influencers who were children. And those kids helped determine how the parents were going to spend their vacations every year. And on opening day for Disneyland, there were 15,000 people in line by 10 a.m. So, you know, he used this strategy to good effect. And, uh, you know, another example in Silicon Valley, when a company is trying to raise money, they go around to different venture capitalists. And in many ways, this is part of their Ignite strategy is they're not just meeting with these power brokers in Silicon Valley to get money, but they're also slowly educating these different power brokers on their vision and what it is they're trying to do. And over time, not only do they presumably raise money, but they've also got buzz going. They've got people talking to each other. And one VC tells four VCs who then tell four VCs. And pretty soon you have Silicon Valley talking about your unique approach or your unique offering. So Ignite is about getting the early adopters on board, getting to create that buzz. Now, I see at the very end of this process, there is Accelerate. That seems like a great natural place to go, but you have another step in between. You have Navigate. So after launching, Igniting, you have Navigating. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. So Navigate is where you have to walk your talk. This is where you help clients or customers navigate their way through the journey to get from their problem to the outcome, to the solution. And there's an, there are a few important pieces here. Uh, you know, One, is, of course, is you have to have substance. So a lot of companies get out there, they generate a ton of buzz, but they don't actually deliver the goods and you know nothing happens. Uh, there was a great example. I can't remember the name of the product, but it was some kind of a, a juicer product that was super expensive, had all this high-tech aspect to the product or offering. They charged a huge amount of money for it. They, I think they, they built up a lot of buzz in Silicon Valley. They, they raised money. And then it turned out to basically all it was doing was squashing the fruit. And it was something you could do you know, with your hands or a brick. It was, there was nothing fancy about it. So they didn't deliver on the promise. You've got to deliver on the promise. And the key here that's different from a lot of companies, a lot of companies are just going to provide a product or service. You're delivering an, an outcome. And the reason customers are going to pay more for what it is you're doing is because they, the, the, there's so much, the value of what you're giving them so, is so superior to what it is they're paying, that they're more than happy to pay a higher price than they would the next person. You know, Teslas are actually a really great example. They're very expensive cars relative to other cars with similar aesthetics and performance. But Tesla really delivers a complete solution to the point where they keep delivering new features even after you've bought the car. I I read about a woman who had bought a Tesla and suddenly she had rear seat heaters <laughs> that she didn't have before. They flipped a switch in the software. All of a sudden, her she has seat, rear heat, uh, seat heaters that she didn't know she bought. I have a story in the book about a guy who was um, at a meeting at Levi Strauss in San Francisco downtown, and he gets a, an alert on his phone that his car is being broken into. The car recorded the entire break-in. 
And the police were able to use that to find the perpetrators and arrest them. So Tesla doesn't just give you a car. It gives you a complete solution, a complete driving experience. Uh, and there, you know, the, the examples, the examples go on. But so delivering a complete solution and then also designing in components or dimensions of your operation and the offering itself that make it difficult to duplicate. I heard an interview you did with an author who just wrote a book and he talks about the innovation stack. And this would be where that comes in. So, you know, finding ways to build in uh, different points of differentiation that make it hard for others to copy what it is you're offering gives you more sustainable differentiation. It makes you harder to copy. And this is what has made Amazon a big success. They've created so much efficiency in their operation in being able to make quick deliveries in robotics and their warehouses in their processes and operations and how they train people. You know, there's an entire architecture that's all integrated and highly efficient that makes it hard for anyone to come after them. And this is all part of the, the navigate phase. But the biggest aspect is where that you're actually delivering a high value outcome to your customer. So we have launch, which is declaring your problem or what you stand for and putting a stake in the ground. Igniting is getting people on board, is getting the early adopters. And then you have this navigate step of delivering a complete solution. Could you finish off today's interview with talking about what it looks like to accelerate? Yes. Accelerate is how you continue to survive, of course, uh, once competition starts coming after you. It seems like such common sense, but so many companies don't do it. But in this phase, you're watching the horizon. You're looking for what's changing out there in the marketplace. You're making course corrections in your own approach to what's going on. You're innovating, continuing to innovate. And then you also speed up. And and this is where once you've got traction, you also broaden to other markets. So, of course, we have uh, a large graveyard of companies that haven't done this. Blockbuster completely underestimated what Netflix was going to accomplish, even though Netflix actually came to them and offered to partner. Blockbuster turned them down, didn't believe in streaming. And by the time they got their head around it, it was too late and they were out of business. A lot of people haven't even heard of them, probably. Newspapers are a great example of an industry that had a lot of warning about what the internet was going to do to their business and they didn't pay attention. Traditional publishers have seen this happen with the rise of self-publishing. Kodak uh, with digital photography. Uh, anybody who's been commoditized has, has um, you know, failed to heed or, or, or execute this phase. And so the key is really understanding where things are going, watch the market, pay attention to changes, anticipate where the trends are going to take your business, and then constantly, constantly change and adapt. And really, this just becomes a, a cycle. So you launch, ignite, navigate, accelerate, launch, ignite, and navigate, accelerate as you constantly make changes and work your way through uh, you know, these different phases. Not that you have to do all of them sequentially. Often they're done concurrently. Sometimes pieces of Navigate happen before you start the Ignite phase. Um, but ultimately, you need to do all four of these if you want to achieve sustainable differentiation and sustainable profitable growth. So once again, listeners, the four phases of the Apollo method are launch, ignite, navigate, and accelerate. And Teresa, 
We're coming to the end of our interview today. I'd love for you to just recap or maybe share something that you've not gotten a chance to share yet in the interview. Any final thoughts for the listeners today? Yeah, you know, I just would like to emphasize how important it is to really, whether you use the Apollo method for market dominance or something else, it's so important to really fixate on those margins. I see so many companies get fixated on revenues and they they measure their success based on revenues, but you can grow your way out of business. If you don't have enough margin, you don't have enough to reinvest back into your business and into your future. So please, please get obsessed with margins and how you can justify higher prices by providing higher value to your customers. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing with us about your new book, Be the Go-To. Where can people go to learn more about you and your work and especially to get access to your book? You can get the book on Amazon. Just put Be the Go-To in the search bar and it should come up or Be the Go-To with my name. You can also get information at apollomethod.com. That's www.apollomethod.com. There's a little bit of information out about the book. There's a link for buying it. There are templates and worksheets that I provide in the book that you can download and use to work your way through the methodology. And then, of course, you can always email me at Teresa at ApolloMethod.com, T-H-E-R-E-S-A at ApolloMethod.com. All right, Teresa, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Teresa and are more convinced about the importance of having a dominating presence wherever you are leading. We've had a few other recent episodes on this podcast about innovation, and Teresa referenced one of them today. That's with Jim McKelvey, who was the co-founder of Square. That's episode 91, and it's linked in the show notes below or at lifeasleadership.com slash 095. Now, let's go ahead and go to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. The barriers to duplication are so low today that it's vital to differentiate yourself from others, but... It must be done in a meaningful and substantive way. You shouldn't just differentiate yourself to stand out from the crowd because if that's the only reason for it, then you're not going to meaningfully be able to separate yourself from other people over the long term. It has to be both meaningful and substantive. The second key takeaway is this. A go-to is not just known for its product or service. It's known for a higher purpose. So if you're going to be a go-to, what is that higher purpose that you're going to be known for? And the final key takeaway is connected to it, and it's the first phase of Teresa's four-phase Apollo method, and that is launch. Identify a problem, claim that problem, then set a stake in the ground to conquer that problem. Say, this is the problem that I'm about. This is the problem that I'm seeking to solve, to resolve, to change in order to help the world become a better place. This is what I stand for and invite other people to become a part of it. If you've not yet done that, go ahead and start with that first phase of this Apollo method. And if you think Teresa could help you out, feel free to reach out to her and let her know what you're looking to do. She mentioned her email at the end of the interview, but if you go to lifeasleadership.com slash 095, you can find her email address there as well. 
Now, later this week, we're going to be having someone share with us about the idea of risk-taking and how to think about that more intelligently. This is a topic that we haven't really covered for a little while on this podcast, and if this is a topic that interests you, I highly recommend that you come back for that episode later this week. If you want to make sure that you catch the episode, go ahead and subscribe if you've not yet done so already. Either way, I hope to see you then, and until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.